Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 173 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm super excited because I'm talking to Travis Baldry, who has an incredible story to tell, um, all about how to write cosy fantasy. But first, to last week's question, which was, are you a lover or a hater of New Year? Carrie Hardisky says, I'm neutral about New Year. I think it depends on what is going on or coming up that raises my excitement level, like a big vacation or a family uh, event like a wedding. Or in the case of the past couple, I've been cautiously optimistic, like, thank fuck we made it. Can we have a bit less shit this time? Oh my goodness me. Like the number, every year I feel like we jinx every year because we're like, oh, this year can't be as bad as last year and then some fucking disaster happens or whatever. But um, I am, I have to say, I am cautiously optimistic about 2023. I have a very good feeling in my belly. I think it's just because I'm like completely and utterly high on joy at the moment. And so... uh, (laughs) Maybe I'm just like deliriously deluding myself about this year. But no, I have to say, I'm cautiously optimistic too. Lena Johnson says, I'm also ambivalent about New Year. I think it's an arbitrary turning point and just as easy to create resolutions or begin something new at any point during the year. My activator agrees. I finished school and started a new day job at the end of December. So this year, it makes sense for me to set new goals in January. But really, the only thing I care about for New Year is the extra time off from the day job. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I, I definitely agree with that. I think everybody likes the extra time off. Edwin Downward says, For me, New Year's has multiple meanings to make it a special day. There is, of course, the whole global celebration thing, though, staying up to midnight uh, is tougher than ever. My dear wife was born on December 31st, and because she wanted a specific pastor to marry us and his schedule was tight, oh, wow, we were married on December 31st. It's tricky to give each its special moments during the day, but I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, I love that. What a magical day to have gotten married. Um, Yeah, I love that. I love that you have three different celebrations in one day. Way to have a bang to the end of every year. Val Neal says, I don't feel particularly strongly about the new year. And that, you know, that's completely fair enough. I am with uh, Lena in that I feel like every day is the opportunity for a new start. And we can always begin again. We can always start again. The next hour, the next minute, the next breath that we take in. Each single second of our living, breathing, glorious lives is a chance for us to try again and to start again and to just keep going. So yeah, I love that. I, I, I do like the fact that there is some kind of collective social atmosphere around New Year that just kind of makes it even more of a fresh start, if that makes sense. But yeah, every single day is a, is a day to uh, give yourselves another another chance. LJ Granger, author on Instagram says, we're not really New Year's people. I enjoy the time off work for sure, but the night itself doesn't really phase us. CJ Dainton says, it's, it's as good a time as any, and it's a pithy thing to say, New Year, New You. Fourth of July, you're just getting by, isn't quite so inspirational. <laughs> no, I don't think that is quite as inspirational, but um, yeah, I love this. Thank you all so much for your comments. I love reading them and I love getting to hear like your opinions on all of these things. So thank you so much for um, commenting. Okay, this week's question is very in keeping. It's a very on theme uh, question this week. And the question is, what is giving you joy at the moment? Now, when I wrote this, my filthy little mind was like, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to have loads of naughty comments this week. But I'm hoping... We'll get some polite ones too. Uh, so yes, please do tell me what is giving you joy at the moment. Hey, so the book recommendation of the week of this week is Reclaim Your Author Career by Claire H. Taylor. So this book has been doing the rounds. It's the um, Enneagram 
uh, based book that Claire has written. And I'm reading this with Rachel for The Black Heron because we started the Everything Connects and didn't really enjoy it. So we swapped to Reclaim Your Author Career by Claire H. Taylor. So I suppose my question of the week should have been, do you know what your Enneagram is? Uh, But I I am about a quarter, maybe a third of the way through this book and I'm really enjoying it. I really like her tone, her voice. I really like the information. It's given me a different way to look at kind of self-development and personality and motivations and fear and desire. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Obviously, I haven't finished it, but I'm loving it so far. So would definitely recommend based on what I've read so far. And uh, yeah, so that is the book of the week. So in personal news and updates, I, it's been, it's been an interesting week because last week I was working on the prequel novella. I finished that by the skin of my fucking teeth. I finished it on Sunday night about like literally five to midnight. And that was my deadline was Sunday night. So I sent it to the editor on Sunday night and uh, I was very glad to have that done. But then... I had the expectation that I was going to start book two on Monday and I did, but I got like 500 words because I was just procrastinating all day. I say procrastinating. I don't really procrastinate. Like I was doing marketing work and administration work and stuff like that. But realistically, uh, it's I think because my brain was just completely and utterly exhausted and saturated. So although it felt like I was procrastinating, I don't think I was. Well, one, because I was actually getting important work and urgent work done that was needed. But also I think my brain was just begging for a break. (laughs) And we all know I'm not very good at giving it that. So I think that was my way of saying, come on, bitch, we need at least one day between projects. So anyway, I have now started and it is Thursday the 12th and I have now written, I think I started on Monday and I've written 10,000 words. I am behind technically uh, based on, but I think I'm two days behind so I should have closer to 20k but it's okay because I feel like I have plenty of time left this month to (laughs) make up the 10k and uh, hopefully finish the book towards the end of the month, or at least the first draft anyway, because I need the first chapter to be in the back of the book one. (laughs) So uh, how am I feeling? I am trying very hard to go back to my inner two-year-old, to have fun, to just like write the things that make me excited. I have to say I'm feeling a little bit of doubt, a little bit of imposter syndrome. I find it very difficult to start writing a book. Once I get, you know, probably 20K in, it's usually pretty plain sailing after that point. But the first, uh, and that, it kind of depends on the book as well, because not all books have felt like this, but I would say certainly more have than not. I found it tricky because I always change the beginning or usually or that's what I used to do anyway uh but like I say I used to write out of order and now well so far this book I have written in order and I wrote the last book in order as well and I can't tell you why I'm doing that it's I don't know (laughs) when you've written I think I'd written like 18 books or something before and now all of a sudden spontaneously I'm writing in order it's bizarre um but anywho, enough about that. I That's what I'm mostly working on is drafting book two. Uh, I haven't announced the name, but it's because I want to have book two on pre-order when book one comes out. And of course, this is the Ruby Row stuff. I have been absolutely overwhelmed and delighted with the support that I'm getting for the Ruby book. I am so overwhelmed and delighted with all of the feedback, like the reviews that are coming in. I'm 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 genuinely thrilled. And um so here we go. I'm going to like I have promised that I will give you a extra episode sort of summary lessons learnt uh and I will do that. Uh after it has launched so that I've got uh, some numbers and figures. But here is a figure for you. So I had very, very low expectations for this book. I did not anticipate uh, really getting any pre-orders. I didn't anticipate getting a lot of support for this. Uh, And I suppose because it's a new genre, because it's queer, I don't really know. I just figured it was a bit too niche, a bit too spicy. Uh, I just didn't think anyone would like it. And I just honestly, genuinely cannot believe how kind and supportive and incredible everybody is being. I'm like really humbled by this whole 
process. So first of all, let me just say thank you to everybody who has been supporting me. Um, secondly, <laughs> so even though I had no expectations, we all know I'm number one competition, everyone drink. I know I've already talked about activated today, but everybody drink. So uh, I obviously set some goals in my head. And um, the high bar goal, I'm now only 40 pre-orders away from hitting the high bar. So I don't like to ask. However, I would really, really, really love to hit the high bar goal. So if you think you might enjoy fantasy romance, if you think you would enjoy a enemies to lovers story, a kind of really hot and spicy enemies to lovers, if you like found family stories, if you like heists, please help me. Like, let's work together and get this to the high bar goal. And if we hit the high bar goal, I will tell you what the goal was. Uh, so yeah, please, 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 if you think you would enjoy uh, reading Enemies to Lovers, fantasy romance, um, buildings that create magic, and have there's loads of mansions and castles, and there's even babes on bikes. Like, who doesn't love a babe on a motorbike? Uh, so yeah, if you think you would enjoy that, please do pre-order it. It is now available in ebook, paperback, and and hardback. I don't know if there's going to be an audiobook yet. I have had a couple of people say, I hope you're going to do the audiobook, but I don't have the confidence right now. I One of my goals this year is to book a coaching uh, with somebody who can coach me on fiction narration. So we will see. Okay, enough about Ruby Row. So I will just remind you that Heroes and Villains are both still on sale for $1.99. That's the ebook of both of them. And that's for the duration of January. So until the 30th of January. If you want to go and get a copy, if you have been sitting on the fence, you need to go get a copy because I can't tell you when or even if they will ever be on sale again. I don't typically put my nonfiction on sale. So I just thought, you know, new year, let's try some new tactics. Never done sales really for nonfiction. So hey, we are running a sale and it's going fantastically as well. So thank you to everybody who has picked up a copy. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, yeah, and if you haven't, now's the time, baby. Okay, in other news then, the audiobook of The Anatomy of a Bestseller is now winging its way uh, through Findaway as well as ACX. I, It's a bit of a bad timing, but I suspect ACX is going to clear in the next day or two. So probably by the time this goes live, it will be out there already. Um, and Findaway, there was a few couple of little issues in the background, but they, they've now been ironed out and it's been accepted and it is now being distributed to stores. So I will be loading up a new episode like so you'll get us well not a sneak well yeah I suppose it is a sneak peek of the um, audiobook and uh, when that is definitely out so keep an eye out for that um, and yeah I think that's it this month is just a crazy getting all of the fucking words written type month and so I think most of my updates are going to be around word counts I am aiming for about 100k this month words written and I am 25k in now on the 12th so a little bit behind this month <laughs> quite a lot behind however we all know that I ramp up pace and ramp up speed the further I get into a book and I don't really have anything else well I do what do you fucking book? But the main things that I'm doing this month are words during the day. And then I'm like bumping all my marketing to the evening. So anyway, right, enough bollocksing on from me. Let's get on with the Rebel of the Week, which is Anonymous. Ooh, I love an Anonymous one. Okay. So Anonymous says, I have a son who has a variety of learning disabilities. When he was in middle school, he fell in love with the sport of lacrosse. I asked if he even knew what lacrosse was and he said, uh, and he had me watch a game on ESPNU, the college ESPN station with him. My first reaction was, what did I always tell you about sticks? Don't run with them and don't hit people with them. His thing was, it's called a poke check mum, duh. <laughs> What position did my son want to play goalie, where hard balls would be flung at him at high speed? Yes, he was my son after all. His mother wanted to be a goalie when she was a kid, where hard rubber pucks would be shot at her from high speeds. So he went to lacrosse camp, took up running and played with a bunch of kids and played in middle school and on his freshman team in high school. His sophomore year, he tried out for the junior varsity team and a couple of days into tryouts, I get a call from his special ed advisor. He started the call. I want you to talk to your son. 
he probably won't make the cut for the JV team and we're worried it will damage his self-esteem. Seriously, what kind of fuckery is that? I replied. I have no delusions my son is great at any sport, but he loves playing and so long as he loves playing, he can play. If he doesn't make the team, then he will learn you don't win at everything and take it from there. (gasps) A hard, hard lesson. (laughs) Even reading that hurts me. (laughs) Every single one of my children has known when it's time to walk away from a sport on their own terms. So no, I will not be speaking to my son about dropping out of tryouts. Let him learn and grow. I think that's fantastic parenting. The next day, my son came home and said, I decided to quit lacrosse. Seeing red, I took a breath and calmed myself. Oh, did someone say something to you? Nope. Today, before tryouts, Adam borrowed my goalie stick. He's never been in the goal before, and he was such a natural athlete that watching him, I realised I'd be that pity... Pity picks sitting on the bench until we were way ahead and then thrown in the goal at the end of the game to make me feel like I'm a member of the team. I don't need that shit. Too much other stuff to do. Oh, what an incredible kid. I have never been more... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Literally, I'm feeling that pride for you on your behalf. I've never been more proud of my son in that moment. When I ran into his advisor a few days later, he was, hey, thanks for talking to him. And I stopped him. Remember what I said about my kids walking away on their own terms? Go ask him why he quit. My son still rocks, even as an adult. And boy, do I use that term loosely. I just think that is fucking incredible. What an inspirational kid your son really, really is. Thank you so much for that story. I like feel inspired and like humbled. And yeah, wow, just wow. Thank you so much. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, we are always in desperate need of these rebel stories. Please do send in. You guys make this the rebel podcast. If it weren't for your stories, like, I don't think this show would be as good as it is. So thank you so much to everyone who does send them in. And please please do uh, continue to send your stories. One new patron this week, Daphne Garrison. Thank you so much for joining me. And of course, an enormous thank you to all of my existing patrons. We had Poison and Prose last night. Next week, we've got our uh, quarterly movie night. And then the week after, we've got a bonus uh, Q&A session on marketing uh, in light of Hell Week that was back I think it was in November. So yes, if you would like to join and get stacks of bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, enough from me. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am really excited today because I did not think this guest would say yes to coming on the show, but I did. And today joining me is Travis Baldry. Travis is a full-time audiobook narrator who has lent his voice to hundreds of stories. Before that, he spent decades designing and building video games like Torchlight, Rebel Galaxy, and Fate. Apparently, he now also writes books. He lives in the Pacific Northwest with his very patient family and their small, nervous dog. Hello and welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. No, I'm literally delighted because I I heard about your story uh, from a friend who'd read your book and was very insistent that I should read your book. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the TBR pile's huge, like blah, blah, blah. And um, then they were like, no, seriously, you need this slice of joy. So I was like, okay. And then, oh my God, I fell in love with your characters and your book and just like the happiness and joy. And then I was like, I need to speak to this Travis uh, narrator and, and author and just hear your story and, and tell everybody about it. So before we dive in, into kind of more questions about cozy fantasy would you tell everyone a little bit more about your literally incredible journey uh from from narrator to to indie author to trad author um well it certainly wasn't planned <laughs> neither was the narration honestly um, oh, really? i i I switched careers so hard out of making video games that i smashed right through narration into this i guess um I made video games for 20 years. I uh, retired from doing it because it's it's a demanding job. It takes a lot out of you. Not a lot of old people in video games. And I when you had... when you say you made video games, um, do you you were sort of drawing or you were writing script or like what does that mean? I ran companies, co-owned companies. I was an engineer, a designer, a writer. 
Oh wow! Or I did I did everything. I, uh, the the last company I owned and ran, there were just two of us for the first project, and then we got up to five. Um, uh, the Runic Games, which I also ran for I think seven years, we we got up to like thirty. Um, but so I've worn every hat there is to wear. Oh wow! My kid is like tech obsessed, and we've just got him um uh code kingdom to try and encourage oh, you yeah. to sort of learn like the the back end of it but mm-hmm. i'm like i'm not like i can run a podcast and that's about <laughs> the extent of my like audio and um, audio tech ability but um yeah he's like super keen so that i want yeah i wanted to ask my kid's that. super into it too my youngest is super into it she did code kingdom some oh, wow. um she does a lot of roblox coding but she wants no help whatsoever from oh no. <laughs> oh how old is your daughter uh, let's see, uh, 13 now, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah, so mine just turned nine yesterday. And uh, yeah, he's all about Roblox as well. It drives mm-hmm. me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, sorry. Anyway, I interrupted. So no, you, no. Yeah, you were you were doing video gaming and... Yeah, I did that for years. I was good at it. Um, but I started narrating on the side because I had the audio equipment. And uh, mm-hmm. my kids did not need me to read to them anymore. And I found out that I really enjoyed doing it. So I was reading, I was, I was narrating pretty constantly for the last few years that I was working on games. And eventually there came a point where I was like, you know what, I, I could just do this. And I enjoy it a lot more. And it's all book people all the time, which is pretty great because book people are great. So I ended up switching and I just became a full-time narrator. Um, and I enjoy it a lot. I still love it. Do you still um, narrate? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was doing that right before this podcast. I do about 70 or 80 books a year, six or seven books a month. Um, I narrate a a lot. So how how do you protect your voice? Because so I have done I've just finished my second. um, So I write nonfiction as well as fiction. Mm -hmm. I won't narrate my fiction because I'm not confident enough to. um, But I narrate my audio, my nonfiction audiobooks. Mm -hmm. And I've just finished my second one. But I do find that my voice is like, you know, I can only really go for about two hours before I'm like, no, I'm done. Like my voice, I can start to feel the strain. Most people don't like consistently narrate for longer than two hours at a stretch. Yeah. Usually they do it broken up during the day. So I usually do like two to three sessions a day, which could be an hour and a half to two hours. Your stamina builds up over time. It also helps that my voice just sounds like it was drugged behind a truck anyway. So I don't have, (laughs) I, I think that female narrators often have to worry more about the variability of their voice, like early in the morning or after it's worn in. But if you already sound like trash, it doesn't really matter. So... my goodness me yeah I definitely like I know obviously you know you have to eat certain foods and things but it's like I I literally have to have a coffee otherwise like we're not we're oh not, I have coffee we're not gonna be so much coffee it's all about the stomach gurgles like the yeah. stomach noises that's the main <laughs> that's the main nemesis of all narration is like no if I eat that food my stomach will never shut up so you're very careful and strategic about what you eat and when it's the fucking aeroplanes and the fucking dogs. Those are the ones that and get this me. This is why I'm in. I'm in a box that weighs about a ton and a half. That's oh, wow. that's uh, on little rubber feet, and you know, it's triple walled. So yeah, it so still my... cannot defeat my children's footsteps if they're right <laughs> above me. Nothing, nothing in, is louder. Are you inside your house? I am. I have an office in a walkout basement, and then I have my one one and a half ton booth. But the the there's a small living room above, and if my kids are home, they just kind of fall from foot to foot. It's more or less yeah. elephants. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Nothing can defeat that kind of low frequency noise. Yeah, I so my wife built me an audio booth in our garage, mm-hmm. um, and, but it's more like a phone box sized, and like we just insulated the shit out of it. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's not like the exterior is just like MDF. So if we're all good as long as there's no cars, no dogs, and yep. no planes. Yeah, and when the lawnmower <laughs> comes by, there's still nothing you can do. If the lawnmower's outside the window, it's yeah, undefeatable. Yeah. Um, I remember okay. when I first started, I was in a basement, and I did not have a booth yet. And there was a crow that insisted on sitting outside of my window and just cawing. And so I would have to get up and go out and shoo away the crow. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and they're like, why is it? I don't know if you find this, but like... So I, I I work the other side of the house and there are no cars ever when I'm in here. There's no aeroplanes, no nothing. The minute I even think about going into that booth, there's fucking yeah, there's just all over the place. Planes, the 
Yep. Somebody's <laughs> picking up the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody decides to drill in their house. I'm literally like, you've had all fucking week to do that. <laughs> leaf blowers, leaf blowers. And yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, okay. I still don't think I actually drilled down to you wrote a book. I did write a book. You did. Um, yeah. So I narrate all the time and I've, um, uh, I've participated in National Novel Writing Month like many times in the past, but I never finished. I was yet to the boggy middle and tapped out. I was sure I was a pantser. And so I was just dove right in and it was always a disaster, but I always wanted to do it. Um, But a a narrator who's a friend of mine uh, convinced me to do it again last year. um, And we both did it. So we were nano buddies. And for the first time ever, I outlined a book. And, um, and I actually finished, um, and the book that is out there is largely the same as the book I wrote. So I did it in November last year, actually, literally yesterday was when I, yesterday, a year ago was when I finished the book. So, oh my God, oh my gosh, your journey is so fast then. It was very fast. So it took, it took more time to sign traditional publishing paperwork than it did to write, edit and release the book. So it was very fast. Um, but my thought was I was just going to do something kind of funny. Um, I, I, I read a lot of action adventure stuff for narration because I'm a guy and that's kind of, you kind of get typecast pretty quick. So I read lots of like fantasy adventure stuff, which is fun. I like it. That's always super high stakes, you know, duty kind of books, which is, is great, but it's not what I only like to read. So I wanted to write something different. So I was joking around while I was working. Um, I work live in Discord. I usually have some people hanging out while I work. And I said, what I really wanted to read was a Hallmark movie set in the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> so I had this joking idea of like, um, you know, the dwarf businesswoman who has to return home to her dad's failing mine and get it out around, you know, like solstice time. And she's really cranky about it and all the small town shenanigans and but then there's like a really, you know, probably ruggedly handsome guy who wears sweaters and bakes cookies or something. And, you know, that was my joking idea. That's obviously not what I wrote, but it's adjacent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was going to be more of a nod and a wink kind of thing, but then it ended up being like really earnest. And I just went with it um, because it ended up, <laughs> I mean, it ended up being kind of, uh, kind of autobiographical because it's like somebody who gets in their 40s and totally changes their industry and moves to a new town and meets (laughs) new people and you know that does really big late in life changes so um that wasn't what I set out to do that's just what happened and how did it end up being like sapphic like how did it like so I knew at the beginning I, I didn't initially set out to do that um Initially, Viv and Tandry were just supposed to be, it was just supposed to be a really, really good friendship and one that built like naturally and organically and about two people discovering that they needed people in a way that they didn't know that they needed them. And they were like each kind of like the avatar of that for the other. And then just as it went on, it just seemed like obvious that they liked each other a little more than that. And so I just, I think about halfway through the book, I was like, yeah, I mean, I think they like each other a little more than that. And it just kind of fit in also to, um, both of their backgrounds and you know like there's there's just um so the book is almost it's it's mostly about bravery it's about the bravery to do something different viv puts down the sword and confronts things that she would have had a sword to deal with without one and that's a certain kind of bravery that doesn't involve beating something over the head with a stick and then later on the bravery is to say okay we have a relationship together and i think it's something else and i'm willing to take the step to see if it is even though i might lose and so I don't know, it just, it felt like it made sense. Well, as a queer woman, there literally cannot be enough books like about my kind of love. So I thank you for writing that story because I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm glad. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the move that you made from indie because you originally published yourself, yes, didn't you? I did. So how how did it happen? How were you approached? What What convinced you? as you'd already had a lot of success, like instantly as an indie author. Um, what, so yeah. Can you just talk about sort of why, why would I do you, that at yeah, all? Yeah. Why did you yeah. do it? So I wouldn't have thought to do it. I certainly didn't imagine doing it and I didn't make any plans to try. Um, I was approached by three agents after it was released and, and doing well as an indie pub book. Um, 
and which I guess is more and more common these days. Um, cause you look at like the Atlas six and Senlin Ascends and Rage of Dragons and all of those are self pub to trad pub switches. I did not know the Atlas six was self pub. Atlas six also was self pub. So there's a self pub version out there. I know that. Yeah. And so I think that, um, traditional publishing seems to be obviously looking for things that people are already interested in because it takes the, it takes a lot of the risk out, right? If people are already willing to, you know, hand sell this to other people that they know, then that's a lot of their concerns out of the way. Um, and they've got things that Indy doesn't have, which I guess mm -hmm. is part of the reason that I did it. Um, so I had a, I had a successful launch. It did way better than I ever expected it to do. All, I didn't expect anybody to read it. I just wanted to sell enough copies to pay for my cover art. And I was going to go back to, you know, business as usual. We and it was just fun. Did that. <laughs> it was, it was just, it was just fun. I wanted to, I wanted to do it. I work with indie authors all the time and I just wanted to see what they go through. Yeah. Um, but I started to think about it and I was like, well, I have a unique opportunity. I can do both. I will have launched it on self pub and I'll see how it does. And then I can also launch a traditional pub and I can see how it does and I can compare and contrast. And if I do that, it's not like I'm, I mean, I still like my day job. I w I'm not, I'm not currently like bussing tables, hoping to get my big break as an author. I can do this and it's, it's like low risk to try. Yeah. yeah. Almost so like given that situation, stakes. why not? Right. And there's obviously there's unique advantages to being trad pub one translations. Yeah, I'm never going to yeah. I'm never going to hire a translation agent and get translations, but there will be at least nine translations. I'm sure there will be more. Wow. Which is crazy. And that's something that I would never do. Um, and obviously their reach. I, I had a remarkably good print reach for any. It was it was totally anomalous. It was in almost every Barnes and Noble. It was in indie bookshops. I was I think I sold at least 10,000 copies print in stores. Wow, which that is, is incredible. insane, insane for indie. So, yeah. but what can you do with Treadpub where you get in an airport and, yeah. you know, a Fred Meyer or, you know, a, and again, internationally in locations you wouldn't otherwise be. So why not try that? So those were the things that kind of went through my mind. Obviously, I got I got an advance, too. I got a, a nice advance for doing it. Um, so it wasn't like, it, it just seemed like, why not? And again, I, I did the self pub just to learn about it. So why not learn about the traditional pub too? And there's been Absolutely. lots to learn. There's a lot of those totally, I did not understand. I have learned a lot. Like I didn't, I didn't understand how foreign right sales worked. Oh, okay. Um, they are totally extremely lucrative. Didn't know how that worked at all. Um, yeah. I didn't know that Tor UK is not the same as Tor US. Yeah. They're not, they're, they're owned by the same company, but they're not the same company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I didn't know about the lead times. I didn't know about the process. I didn't know about any of it. Um, so it was just a lot of cool stuff to learn, which is fun. Um, and I guess the other reason I did it was that so far the people have all been really nice. They've Aww. been nice people to work with. I, I love my editors at Tor UK and Tor US. I like the people that I've worked with. The teams are, they're just adorable. They're wonderful people. So when they took the book, did you mm -hmm. have to go through another round of edits or did they publish as is? It's almost identical to mine. Okay. I went through a very rigorous edit. Um, I figure if you're going to do something, you might as well just do it as professionally as you can do it. So I went through Absolutely. a very rigorous edit. Yeah. So there's um, various punctuation changes for like tour house style. Like they don't use N dashes. They only use M dashes. Um, okay. Some people like to use four four period ellipses on the end of a sentence that terminates, and some people only use three. What? So oh. yeah, there's different. There's all different. There's all these different, you know, elements of style or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of like little punctuation changes, and I think we we changed a handful of words. Right, right. Some of them are ones that I wanted to change, and some okay. of them were like I um, I'm from the south, and uh, we say drug as the past tense of drag, as opposed uh -huh. to you know. Um, Dragged? Dragged. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we, things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But if you didn't know what you were looking for, there's no way you would know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I probably should have started with this question, but you write in 
what actually probably you coined as a new genre, or at least a lot of people refer to you as kind of the seminal work in cozy fantasy. So I wondered if you would just explain, like, what does that mean? What is is a cozy fantasy and how is it different from other types of fantasy or cozy? Mm -hmm. So I I definitely didn't coin it. I'm sure someone else did. And I, Mm. I think I'm pretty sure somebody coined it. I don't think I came up with it. I can almost guarantee it. Um, and I think mostly that name just kind of got attached to the book because it was an easy one to attach it to. And I think the timing worked out. It's like yeah. the middle of COVID, people don't want to be depressed or otherwise angstified. And it was it came along at the right time. And it's just the perfect thing to attach it to. But I think as far as cozy fantasy goes, there's been lots. I mean, I think all Studio Ghibli movies are basically cozy fantasy. I think Terry Pratchett basically writes cozy fantasy. If you look at something like Going Postal, I think that's basically cozy fantasy. Mm, I think okay. Diana Wynn Jones, Howl's Moving Castle, cozy fantasy. Okay, okay. Um, and then if you look at Becky Chambers, and that's basically cozy sci-fi. I have you look at Psalm Becky of the Wild Built, uh, Wild Built, and uh, um, a long way to a small angry planet. I think these are. I think that there are. I think there's lots of examples of it. Uh, T. Kingfisher writes cozy fantasy. Uh, what is it? The uh, The Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking. Okay. Okay. I will. I will. Anyway. Now you can just check all is... of these things yeah. out. So <laughs> okay. I think it just got, I think the, I think this is just was an easy thing to point to. And I think the cover is very emblematic of the idea. So it's very easy to look at and say, oh, well, that's cozy fantasy. It's two people, clear fantasy races in a coffee shop. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think that existed prior to that I didn't know about and found about afterward is coffee shop AUs. Um, where it's like alter universe where people write fan fiction from some other existing property where it's like the fantasy characters or the whatever just hang out in a coffee shop and one of them is a barista and they do like some romantic stuff. This is a whole genre I didn't know what? existed. I have literally until today, I was today years old when I discovered exactly. this. Exactly, I was the same. And me. <laughs> so people keep saying, oh, it's like a coffee shop AU, except it's not an AU. You know, it's not an alternate universe. It just is the thing. So I wasn't aware of that, but it clearly existed and preceded, you know, predated this. Um, but you were asking what it is now that I've successfully said, no, I totally didn't make it up. Cause I really want to make sure I say that. Um, I wasn't aware of it when I wrote it either. I was just, it just seemed like what I wanted to read. Um, as far as what cozy fantasy is, I think it's, you know, the trappings of fantasy, some of the magic of fantasy used to illuminate the fact that normal stuff is important, that like everyday problems and conflicts and struggles it just makes them things that we think of as really mundane. You just add a little bit of magic dust to them. And then all of a sudden it makes them a little special, you know, deservingly special because it's not, these things aren't pointless. They're not stupid. They're not worthless. They're the things we all actually have to deal with. And so sprinkling a little fairy dust on them is, I I don't know. I think it like, it just, it puts them in the position that they should be. Um, Well, I think what your book does is it makes people feel seen and special, right? Because it's a reflection of the everyday. And there is something special in everyday, I think. One of the things that I was thinking about, both while I was writing it and then after the fact, is there's a reason why it it doesn't have a lot of dense world building and it trades on a lot of things that people just innately understand. You're like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's got an orc and a succubus and I know what that is. And this is a kind of a recognizable fantasy world. And I do my own things. But a lot of the point is, instead of having you, instead of it having be escapism where you're traveling to a world that you've never been to before, and you're just looking around and like absorbing it, like with heavy, dense world building, what is this place? You know, it's like Dune, the first time you read Dune or something. You just, it's all foreign. It's the opposite. It's like, I'm going to bring the fantasy world as close to you and your experience as humanly possible so that you immediately relate to it and you understand what's going on and, and you more immediately personally like attached to the things that are happening you know everybody's people have moved you you change your job you move to another city everybody gets that you start a new Mm -hmm. business everybody gets that you know those are that's very that's a very common problem as opposed to i was the chosen one and my parents were murdered and i had to rescue the kingdom that's a very different kind of (laughs) well like let's talk about that because as writers we are often taught that like, especially in fantasy, that it does require these massive 
like world ending stakes. Um, and yet your novel obviously is branded low stakes. And you're kind of talking about this in terms of like the everyday, but like your novel works so well. <laughs> I don't, it is literally like addictive. I couldn't put it down. Like it's so, like I cared so much about everything for the fucking coffee and how much they were going to charge for it and how many bits for this. And like, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand. Can you explain how it works? Like how do low stakes work? Like on a serious note, because like, and so a lot of the listeners are um, like, well, obviously readers, but also authors. So like, what advice would you give to a new author looking to write a cozy fantasy? That kind like, of thing. How do you get the low stakes right? So for me, I think, and the thing that I've found in writing right now is that for me to find whatever the heart is of the story, it has to be something that I personally relate to. And it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but you can all, you can look back in your life and say, what are all the p- points where I felt like the pinch or I felt like anxiety or I felt concern, you know, and it's, again, it's, 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 it's not, it's mundane stuff. Like again, like moving to a new town or starting a new business, starting a new business is really fraught. Yeah. It's scary and hiring people and like dealing with other human beings and worrying that you got it wrong. I mean, there's clearly drama in doing that. It's just not drama that we traditionally think of as like compelling drama, especially when it's always about let's up the stakes, get them as high as possible. But I don't know, personally, those are pretty high stakes. Like from all, from what we're calibrated for our actual life, that's pretty high stakes. It's just low in comparison to popular fiction. Um, but it's still, it's still stakes. Yeah. It still matter. So I think the trick is making that, that connection. You're, when you were talking like about you recognizing things, you know, it's like people can see themselves in that. And when yes. you see yourself in that, I think it's easier to invest in those stakes. If I see somebody who's got to go slay a dragon, I don't personally relate to that in any way, shape, or form. I'm, I've never slain a dragon. I'm not about to. It's not on the horizon. <laughs> you know, it's just... Um, I, it, it's the meaning And I, and I read so right? much of that that it yeah. almost... You get kind of numb to that kind of stakes. It's like you always got to make the, the stakes bigger every time you do it because it's only good for one go. You know? Yeah. It's got to be yeah. a bigger dragon next time. It's got to be 10 dragons. Now it's got to... How can we make this even bigger? Because you're, you're immune to it. Right. I don't know. It's like watching Marvel movies. They all get bigger and bigger and bigger every time. But you get a little number every time, too. Yes. Like how spectacular can this be? And I relate to it. But every time they do something like really human and relatable, you know, like have a heartfelt moment in Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's like, oh, this is great. You know, Um, he was your dad figure and he died. (laughs) Oh, I, I, you know, I appreciate that, you know, but I don't I don't I don't so much the saving of the planet. Um, The other thing that I think that was important for me is like. I want to write a book about people who are adults and not teenagers. So the kinds of conflicts that they have are not like, for me, what feel like easy, cheap conflicts of misunderstanding on like teenagerdom. Like I read so many books where if somebody, if somebody just talked for like 30 seconds, they could easily resolve this. But instead, it is the skeleton for the next eight chapters of drama. And all I'm doing the entire time is just being a little frustrated. It's like, this could have been an email, you know? It's just a very, that kind of drama I don't, I, I find it hard to invest in it because it feels childish to me. That's yeah. that's not fair. It totally happens in life. But there's, if you do a lot of it, it's like, I'm, I don't want this. I just want people who can like, whose conflicts are not these manufactured personal conflicts. Yeah, It's nice if people work together and figure out their differences. And it can, it can still have conflict because you're still you in the world. Things are unexpected. Things happen, you know. People with the best of intentions can cause each other problems. Nobody actually has to be evil or nefarious for that to happen. They just have different purposes and needs. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things was the random acts of kindness that so many of your characters did, like the sign. And like, I, obviously I don't want to, well, I'm not going to, I don't want to actually give spoilers, but like when you, like a lot of characters in books, you, you don't, they don't do that. <laughs> I just, they don't do that. And it was so surprising and nice in a lovely way. And I was just like, oh, like I actually, I'm like dead on the inside. And I <laughs> I had sweaty eyeballs at the end of your book. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like, yeah, I don't. And so coming back to some of the things you were saying earlier, I think, I think hearing you 
some of it is about how much the in air quotes low stakes mean to the protagonist because yep. i was invested because they were invested and i think that also like really really makes a difference yeah. so there's another yeah. thing that kind of goes along with this i think as far as making it kind of like cozy and accessible and it's that often in fantasy we have this weird thing where people are tangled up in like historical accuracy even though there isn't any actual historic history to be accurate about they're like oh well women obviously have to be you know you know there obviously has to be massive sexism and you know enormous racism between the races because that would be historically accurate or something we have to be we have to have this society that highlights all of these horrible things that we are actually still dealing with but why i don't i feel like we've talked about that and we can talk about that and it's worthy of talking about but just putting it into your fantasy novel as your conflict is like why can't people just be people and we talk about something else for a little bit and let people not have that be the driving central conflict you know it's finding it's like finding the joy as well like it's right. not to say that those things aren't worthy of discussion because they totally are and yeah. everything that is you know flawed in our society is worthy of discussion but i feel like they often get jammed into fantasy not for those reasons i don't mm -hmm. feel like that that's why they're put there often and i just don't want i didn't that's not that's not a cozy book i want anybody to be able to read it and come in the door and part of the fantasy escapism is that nobody's going to give a damn what your sexual orientation is or your gender identity or your race or anything else they just that that problem is kind of done so let's well, just talk about let's you know everybody can come everybody can show up yeah I, well and the thing that i find fascinating is when you look at like the lgbt market in terms of books the gay male market is sufficient is significantly bigger than the lesbian market and like where the lesbian market typically does sell well is in contemporary. <laughs> so like the fact that there is a fantasy novel with like sapphic characters that just blew up is just like, it gives so many like queer writers hope, I think. So that's so much for doing that. Um, okay. One of the other things that I absolutely bloody loved in your book was how like visceral it was and how like I, I'm very upset with you that this coffee shop doesn't exist in real life because I want to eat all of the food from your book um and like so do you have any advice for authors in creating things that just like because you know when we're, we're told to put some description in but don't go over the top and blah 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 and you just broke all the rules <laughs> and it's just it's I how did you make it so delicious um, I'm not sure. I have a really good, like, uh, smell memory, like a scent memory. So a lot of things are smell based, I think. One of the things I think is powerful about smells is that everybody has an, like an association. Yeah. Like that. Usually there's some sort of association. I mean, if you mention, you know, cinnamon and sugar smells, you know, people are like, oh, Cinnabon. Oh, I remember walking down the mall. You know, there, there's, there's, people have powerful sense memories attached to scent. So I think you can get a lot of mileage out of it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I wish I had a, a better answer to that, but. <laughs> you know, my background is in psychology and I can tell you why that happens. It's because the, um, all, I think it's called olfactory bulbs, like where your brain processes it it runs next to or underneath actually the um, memory synapses. And so quite often when they fire, they fire and, and it the the neurons kind of ping against memories, which is why, so they are literally connected in your brain, they get yeah. associated. And so that's why that happens. But um, yeah, I, I love that. And, and it is very, very true. The minute you said cinnamon, I think of Christmas. Like, so- yeah, I think scents are really powerful and they conjure up a lot of images that you then don't have to describe. Absolutely. I mean, I can describe a cinnamon roll and what it looks like, but it doesn't do the same thing as like smells of cinnamon, you know, if you can find a way to evoke them, I guess. But yeah. Um, okay. So not only did you write your book, you narrated your book as well. So can you talk a little bit about that? Is there more pressure narrating your own fiction book? Or... Oh, it's the easiest. It's the easiest. Really? It was, it, was like, it was like dancing. I did it in two days. It was the oh, most pleasant thing. Up. It was great. Um, you did so, it in two days. Hold on. Two days. 
Well, so usually I aim for about three hours of finished audio a day. So that's not really unusual for me because it's only like a six and a half hour book. Um, Okay. But it's, uh, as a narrator, when you're narrating, it's, it's like a, it's like 50% reading and 50% anticipation. And so the closer, closer you are to the, the mindset of the author and how they would assemble a sentence, the easier it is to do. And it's just impossible to get closer than yourself. I mean, uh, like a lot of common problems with narration when you mess up is often transposition that doesn't change a meaning. Like if you've changed the order of these two words, the sentence means the same thing, but some people just think one way and some people think another. And the closer you get, the more accurate you are. So I read it pretty accurately and I didn't have to ask any pronunciation questions and I knew what everybody <laughs> sounded like. So it was just, it was super great. It was just lovely. It also helps... Th- after reading out loud for so long, something is kind of rewired in my brain. So I'm more or less narrating while I'm writing too. So there's like a, I'm really like, I, when I'm putting commas, it's where I would pause while I'm talking, which my editor hates. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't always follow actual proper usage for commas, but it's yeah. where I would pause, it, it's where I would beat audibly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I get frustrated with that a little bit in like with nonfiction as well, because I write how I speak. Mm-hmm. And so I often make up words or <laughs> I do things that I shouldn't necessarily do. But like that is quite literally how I would say it. So That's how I would say it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I suppose that is actually a question. Um, I know that you say you've rewired your brain, but actually writing for audio is a thing. So do you have any advice uh, for writers to make their books more accessible to narrators? Like in the writing process, what can they do to be, yeah, make it easier for narrators? The simplest one is the one that the advice that people give anybody for editing already, which is read your work out loud and you'll find all sorts of problems. And it's the same problems that a narrator will find. It's like, wow, these these words next to each other are unbelievably cumbersome, or this sentence goes on too long, and it's got too many digressions. I can't even remember where this started, or the em dash really does not belong there. That's not where this sentence should break to digress. Um, all those things get shaken out just by reading it out loud. It also makes your dialogue sound so much more natural. So honestly, it's still just like read it out loud. You yeah, know, okay. it, it solves almost everything. Yeah. Um, there's probably some other, there'd be weird little things, you know, um, for the most part, narrators can take anything you write and make it work. Um, unless it's going... tables of data. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So flipping that on its head, then I would love to narrate my own audio, like mm-hmm. for fiction. I'm just too scared. What, like what advice, I think the thing that bothers me the most is ensure like I have a lot of vocal flexibility, like mm-hmm. my son and like my, my favorite game with my son is to do stupid voices. And like, so we do all kinds of stuff, but actually like you need to sustain that in a book once you decide. Yeah. So yeah. like wh- how, how, like any advice to do that? To, 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 to to narrate period um well yeah so more I, on the fiction side i think because the non-fiction yeah, and i'm only see. fiction i only narrate yeah. fiction so i don't yeah. have any advice for non-fiction anyway yeah. <laughs> um, i can do that don't worry <laughs> uh, the first thing i think that most narrators and everybody who reads out loud for a while struggles with is that you most people are not comfortable with their own they don't like their own voice they wish they sounded like somebody else so i think for a lot of narrators when you see their first books and i was no different there's a constant strain going on trying to sound like somebody else's voice you admire, not maybe precisely, but something about the diction or the the tension. You, you're just you just don't like your voice yet. Right, and after okay. you've read out loud for a while, you come to the realization that my voice is fine, and I'm going to lean into what makes my voice me. And once you do that, everything just gets a lot more natural and a lot more conversational. Um, it's also a lot easier to read for longer if you're not constantly trying to sound like somebody else or what you think you should sound like as a narrator instead you just sound like you which is Mm -hmm. is generally warmer and looser and more conversational um that's probably like my a number one uh the second one is just doing it for a long time you learn a lot of things about breathing (laughs) 
and how to breathe naturally so that it becomes part of the music of what you say. Um, there's, there's so many aspects to narration from a lot of people have like a repetitive tick. So they always end their sentences in the same way. It always goes down at the end. It always goes down at the end. And then the next sentence goes down at the end. And then everything is going down at the end. They'll have a repetitive thing. And by and large, you want the narrative to be kind of like the soundtrack. So you got narrative and dialogue. Narrative is basically the soundtrack and dialogue is the dialogue. It's like watching a movie. That, that narrative pace and the terrain it travels over in pitch and that variety over time is what gives like texture and feeling to a scene. And then the dialogue delivers, you know, the punch of the actual, you know, personal action. Um, and finding a way to do that and be comfortable with it is worth a lot. Um, God, I could talk for about an hour about this. So, um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I am so deeply fascinated because like, I, I really would like to, I mean, cause I podcast, so I have, listeners right and they have listeners you have the equipment yeah. you have yeah. the setup there's no exactly. reason not to do it um yeah the, there's a lot of there's a lot of audiobook coaches you know yeah, I, yeah. so finding one that helps you identify what you want to be working because some of the initial problem is you just don't know what you don't know what should i be working on and just having someone objectively listen who actually knows how to narrate audiobooks and say here are key things that you want to focus on and then that gives you a roadmap to start improving and then over time it's like sanding down rough wood. At the beginning, you're getting all the splinters off. And eventually, you're just working on little, little subtle imperfections in the surface that a lot of people won't even notice, but that you suddenly care deeply about because now you're a nerd. Yeah, like the things that... Ugh, like the stuff... I and, and I tell you, the learning curve that I went on from book one to book two. Oh my God, I was so much faster with book two because I yeah. didn't make like 11 million fuck-ups for one. Like I didn't... Like the mouth sounds, like stop, like breathe, pause, then speak, because then you can like delete the breath out. Like it's so mm -hmm. much, you know, it's those little things. But yeah, I don't know. I think you're right. I think I probably just need to invest in an audio coach because it's not like I don't, I'm not, I love performing. I love the reading. I love, I don't really love the editing, but um, what? Well, if you aren't doing me? punch and roll yet, make sure you're doing that. <laughs> punch and roll? What do so you mean? So punch and roll, um, most audio recording software at this point has a punch and roll ability, which is when you screw up, you stop, you put the playhead right after, right before your screw up, and then it will give you a pre-roll where it plays back what you were doing before and then smoothly blends into you talking so that you don't go back and edit out the mistakes. They're already done. So by the time I'm done recording a chapter, there really isn't anything to edit. What? Except my literal misreads. So once it's been proved, someone says, oh, no, you said the wrong word here. I have to fix that. But... <laughs> What I need okay, to do. Okay, well, so you, you so punch and roll. We can have an offline conversation okay. about this. I'll provide you with all kinds of stuff, okay. but punch and roll will save you an extraordinary amount of time. And basically, any professional narrator working right now, that's how they work. Oh my God. I literally spend hours editing. Okay, we, I will it's definitely. It's the worst ask. and it's so boring. Yeah. yeah anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, um, any. Actually, I'm going. So, one of my patrons specifically wanted to ask you a question. So, okay. uh, Sparky says, I'm a narrator and I'm an author, and I struggle sometimes to come out of narrating in order to be in my own headspace to write my own books. Do you have any advice for keeping a narrating headspace for somebody else's book separate to the writing of your own book? That's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure if I have any relevant advice. That hasn't been something that's bugged me. I know I pick up all kinds of things from what I read. I've learned a lot from everything that I narrate, but I've, I don't think I've ever felt like I was stuck in their world or their style, at least not consciously. I don't know. Maybe it's just bleeding in there and I'm not aware of it. Um, huh. It's a hard one. It is a, that hard, is a one. hard one. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Okay. Okay. No worries. So my, um, my one of my favorite characters was Cal, and very specifically, <laughs> one of my, yes, that was my favorite thing. So he, he, I don't understand how hmm can be so expressive in so many different ways and say so many different things. So I guess my question is, like, obviously, as a narrator, you were probably innately like able to do 
really good dialogue. So do you have any advice or tips for creating better dialogue or like dialogue that's more unique to the characters? Because each mm -hmm. of your characters sounded so different. I mean, obviously, literally because of narration, but also just the way and cadence and the, how they spoke. Um, I think, well, I don't know if I, <clears throat> I don't know if I explicitly did it in this book. I think it's helpful to think of like character actors that you can attach to the dialogue. Like, you know, if in the movie, um, it would be Robert Downey Jr. playing this character and you can just almost feel like the cadence and the snark of that when you do it, right? It's sort of inherent. So how would Robert Downey Jr. say this line? How would he improv this line that I'm writing? You know, and he's not, I don't know, maybe he's, he's a long past character actor, I would say, but he's a good example of someone where you can imagine him saying a line and you can imagine how he would change it or stutter it or, uh, you know, add, he would color it. And that color ideally comes out in the dialogue without you having to make them wave their hands and nod and do all the other stuff. Um, as far as just overall writing dialogue, for me, I only like dialogue that says something that actually accomplishes something. So I tend to like prune out any of the superfluous dialogue that's just, that's just occupying space. One of the things about reading out loud and reading other people's books out loud is you really, you really learn what you like and what you don't like. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a, it's like this refinement of your personal taste. And so my personal taste is that I basically just don't like superfluous things. I don't like superfluous descriptions. I don't like reading the boring bits. I mean, I understand that we had to travel here. I understand that someone had to get on the horse, but I really don't care about their foot coming over the top of the saddle. I don't care about the way their saddlebags rustled. I don't care about how long it took the horse to get into a trot. I mean, I'm boring myself even describing the things that I'm bored with. Um, <laughs> so I just leave all those out. And I do the same thing with dialogue. Um, I, if, if nobody changed over the chapter and nobody changed over the course of this conversation and nothing is different, then why did I do it? Yeah. Oh, love it. I love it. Like, yeah. Oh, oh. I think that's so true. And and it almost goes back to joy, only writing the joyful bits because oh, then you yeah, just have a book full of joy. I just want the books I want, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that so much to ask? It's like the bane of my existence is, so when I narrate, the bane of my existence is meeting chapters um, where people have like a literal meeting. <laughs> and it's like people sitting around a table having a meeting. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like, why would you write down a Zoom meeting? We could yeah. summarize this. There's just any number of ways I could, because it's like, it's just, it's, it's, it's like, you're already just acknowledging that this is going to be dull. <laughs> yeah. 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 So for all of you writers writing meetings, no, I'm kidding. Um, write whatever you want. Somebody will yeah. write a great meeting. I'm sure that some, I watched, uh, I watched Andor, right there. <laughs> I watched Andor and they had some pretty good meetings in that, <laughs> but um, it's hard. And if you, I feel like a lot of times people are doing it just to make sure that they point out that information a was delivered to point b that they've they've dotted the eyes and like i don't i don't want to see it get dotted <laughs> nobody needs that no okay so um this is the rebel author podcast so tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel <laughs> um wow um, I'm, I'm such a risk-averse person. I'm such a risk-averse person. I mean, I, I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm rebellious and just switching jobs so damn much. Um, uh, I, so as a narrator, I, um, <laughs> I, I don't do a lot of the things that you're supposed to do. Um, I, I dispense with a lot of like established wisdom. So normally as a narrator, you're not supposed to edit your own work. You're supposed to outsource it to somebody because it's so time consuming, but I'm such a nerd. I built tools to do some of the stuff I want to do to, to do it. Um, most narrators like extensively prep their books. I skim read and do a bunch of word searches for um, specific keywords and for things that don't show up in spell check. So I know what to ask, how to pronounce. And I, maybe I spent 30 minutes doing it. Um, I, I love this so much. 
I am really ruthless about optimizing my time, and I will, I will, um, I will murder a lot of sacred cows to do it. Oh, I love that so much. Not least because I hate inefficient things. Um, I also, I mean, I wrote my own book, but like, I don't, I don't prepare. I just go in the booth and I start reading. Like, well, I don't, yeah. I start performing is what I do. I like, yeah. I'm getting, I'm like, let's go. I mean, there's you things know, you like, gotta know. You don't yeah. want to find out on page 500 that somebody has an Irish accent after you already did, <laughs> you know, you without yeah. one. So there's yeah. stuff that you, you totally do need to prepare and know. But like a lot of, I've I've heard people say before that like if you're in a murder mystery, you want to know who did it, so that you can, so that okay. you can like assist. But I'm like, not really. If I'm watching, if I'm reading this, I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Do you want to tip the hand? No. I want to. I want to read it the way that somebody else was reading it. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to experience it the way that they are. When it's surprising to me, I want to pass that surprise on to them. I don't want to manufacture that surprise. Yeah. You know, this is why I could never be a, a, a professional narrator because I don't reread books. So like, oh, I don't. no, I get like one time at this, like one yeah. shot. And that's basically what I do. I'm a pretty, I'm a good cold reader. And so yeah. I have just skimmed the thing enough to get the information I have, but I actually don't know usually how it turns out. I mean, maybe oh, I know no. the vague shape of it, but. I love it. And I know who the characters are. It's important to know who the characters are and what they sound like. And it's important to know how everybody's weird name is said. That is a proper rebellion. I love it. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and and, and I guess your narration as well, if you're you're still taking on people, but also importantly, what is coming next? Because selfishly, that's the bit that Mm -hmm. I want to hear about. So I'm mostly on Twitter, Travis Baldry. I've got a website at Travis Baldry, which I vaguely update maybe once in a blue moon. Um, I'm always Travis Baldry on everything, TikTok, Instagram, yada, yada, yada. I always go by my name. Um, so yeah, I'm out there. Um, as far as what's coming next, uh, book two is already written and turned into the publisher. So it should come out next year. It's called Bookshops and Bone Dust. The same characters. It is no. a prequel. It's a oh, prequel. prequel. It's set 20 okay. years before when Viv is younger and still full of piss and vinegar. And um, <gasps> she gets injured and sidelined in a crappy beach town and befriends a really foul-mouthed bookshop owner. And there are a lot of skeletons. And it's a book about um, things that happen in our life that we don't recognize are going to change us later. It's about like seeds that get planted that blossom decades down the road and um and it's about books it's about books and how people connect through books basically it's where viv learns to like to read um and uh yeah with skeletons and will there be a sequel i don't know i don't know i i like the idea that they're fine that they're doing their thing but it does um i will say book two does interlock with book one Okay. At the end. Okay. Okay. It kind of anyway. Don't ruin it. No spoilers. <laughs> Without spoiling it, it interlocks. It interlocks. <laughs> they they are complementary books while still being standalones. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. I literally can't wait. Um. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. I have loved talking to you. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Travis Baldry. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by one of my in real life and writing BFFs, Caitlin Duncan, and we're going to be talking all about hybrid publishing. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.